Welcome to episode 144 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we continue our Life is Strange series with episode 4, Dark Room. Let's get into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him. His name is Michael Ruffalo. Hey, I'm here to talk about Hottie McCotterson. <laughs> and here to talk about Hottie McCotterson as well is our second friend, Flora Eloise. Hello. I am a pod in a cast. Boring. <laughs> Uh, just a quick warning. We are going into the fourth episode of Life is Strange. Uh, if you have not listened to our first three episodes, what you should do is go back and download uh, the first episode about the series, which is episode 140, and then come back to this when you're ready. But y'all, um, this episode goes places. And I think before we dive in, we should recap what happened right at the end of episode three, which actually just was kind of almost repeated at the beginning of episode four what happened was we uh we went to a different timeline um in this alternative timeline uh chloe's father who in the main timeline had passed away uh was hit by a car in this timeline chloe was actually the one um that had a car accident and ended up in a wheelchair because of it that's what happened at the end of episode three episode four opens and max is hanging out with chloe right I think I remember making the argument that she, like, it was a net positive, you know, because uh, despite, you know, potentially, you know, being disabled or a quadriplegic, um, she had her father and she seemed like she was in much better shape um, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think what we come to find out in this, the beginning of this episode is that, yeah, maybe that's not true. Maybe there's more context. I think you called it a trolley problem. Yes. Yep. I, I did. It's a classic utilitarian problem and uh, or framework. And uh, yeah, it seemed like it seemed like the optimal solution to maximize utility. Um, but we come to find out that's not the case. And we're faced with another ethical dilemma. Yes. Uh, big one. So you hang out at the beach with, with Chloe. Uh, you watch uh, a little bit of uh, Blade Runner for uh with her and then you wake up in the morning she's a lot of pain and then you really discover what's going on in her life which her respiratory system is slowly failing quick question before we go any further yeah. uh do you believe deckard was a replicant <laughs> can i tell you a secret about me i've You've only seen blade it. runner in the last year oh wait but like the original or uh, both of them. I've only really oh, okay. seen both Blade Runners like in the last 12, okay. 18 months. That's okay. I don't care when you've seen it. As long as you've seen it. Um, Flora is showing the movies on Blu-ray as we're on this call. Help me Help me out. So do you think Deckard was a replicant? Not to make this a cutscenes episode, but... Uh, <laughs> yes. Briefly put, this is actually a bit of a, like a blind spot in my film catalog. I have only seen Blade Runner once and the sequel is on that Blu-ray. I haven't even seen. I was just, It was more of like a pile of shame reveal than a, a claim to confidence. Oh, um, man. So yeah, Replicant. I'm a big near Replicant fan, so obviously I want everything <laughs> to be a Replicant. <laughs> Mike? Uh, I don't know, and I would err on the side of not. Okay, interesting. 
Yeah. This is not an episode of cutscenes, but. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, as you as you were saying, you sit, you watch a movie together, and Chloe makes a request of you. And that request is put me out of my suffering. Yeah, simply put. Right? Is that is that pretty much the dilemma that we're faced with, Flora? Did I miss an important no, piece of no. context? You're doing fine. Um, I, I worry that like we we've skimmed over a lot of the emotional like kind of bonding and time and like set piece settling in that a lot of the episode tries to establish at the beginning. The first moral question of this episode is in fact really deep and profound and quite shocking. I think to a first playthrough, um, and it's given to you in the guise of like Chloe is is clearly in pain, specifically in her head, um, and she requests morphine, and so Max goes and and seeks it out, and it gives you like a number of little moments to um i don't know how how much either of you really explored some of the environments earlier on in the game and like the earlier episodes like especially when we got to chloe's house for the first time i know mike you said that like you were really looking around to see like who is this joyce character and blah 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 like i've heard so much about her i really want to see it and the set dressing of the actual house here while you're going to explore for the morphine is like there's there's a lot of like rewriting of that history in a way that's really quite like beautiful and kind of poignant i think and it's those sorts of things that i really enjoyed but you eventually find it and like you talk to joyce and you talk um to like william and you spend some kind of time just existing in these spaces um before going back and realizing that chloe's life ever since her car accident has been entirely like hopeless like she's been left alone she's been abandoned by a lot of people very few people have reached out and communicated with her and like there's these little like suggestions that like max wrote her letters but like um eventually they either like slowed down in frequency or stopped coming all together and so mm-hmm. um chloe frames this moral decision um uh, for you to kind of crank up the morphine and and uh, do some version of like assisted suicide here um, she frames it in terms of she knows that she's causing her family immense pain and financial burden and so like there's bills stacking up on the table that are just they can't be met by the meager income of the household and she she knows she has overheard her parents like sobbing in the night and like kind of like worrying about her condition and um, th- there's just so much of that context that's the reason I, I just we, we got right there to the decision and, and that's yeah. that's fine that's well and good and that is how the episode feels it's a really slow paced introduction but um, I, I certainly don't want to take those like interactions for granted because those are the things that I personally like cherished in the episode. So, yeah. The so. thing that was really striking to me was the empty bedroom. So if you've explored the house in, in the right in the main timeline uh, on this kind of like fragmented timeline or alternative timeline, th- Chloe's room is upstairs is just empty because they likely don't have the financial means to be able to afford you know, the ability for her to, to go upstairs at all times. So she's now kind of in a in a suite on the main floor. And so that that was the most striking thing to me, but I, I, I guess maybe drifting over it was, um, uh, I'm glad that you kind of covered that piece of it because we, we did drift over it very fast. I just thought of it, oh, wasn't it a nice moment that Max and Chloe got to spend some time on the beach together? And it really is a nice moment too. Like, sorry for going on a little mini rant or whatever, but like, there's like these little like so this. We've talked a little bit about how the writing in this game feels out of touch and like cringy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there are these lines, but for whatever reason, given like the 
the somber sincerity of this opening scene, like little lines, like I have one written down. Uh, Max says to Chloe, you deserve the best stationery when she talks about writing her letters. Like it, she's talking about like parchment paper and like that's mm-hmm. that's cheesy. And again, it does not feel like something I've ever heard a teenager say in my life, but it does kind of work. Like the thoughtful like implication of like, oh, I w- you deserve better is what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a number of those. And like Chloe also says, because this is like an alternate timeline, she's turned into a different person. Her hair is colored differently, her attitude, her emotions are all being expressed quite differently there's like this um like you know the the really cringe line that she's been known for hella um Mm -hmm. she she is presented with that word from max and she says like oh don't say hella max that's like that's embarrassing you know like she doesn't know who rachel amber is who's like you know kind of the crux of so much of the mystery in this game she had heard about her in the paper or something along those lines yeah Exactly. So all of those things are just kind of factoring into why I think that decision that I think we're about to talk about is so weighty. Um, not to mention you're talking about like an emotionally impossible decision. Speaking of trolley problems, where um, where the the different you know sides of the scale of suffering are just so complex, it's impossible to weigh them against each other. So, mm-hmm. so you you take a photo album for Chloe off the dresser for her to look at. And that's when she presents you with this very difficult choice of, hey, I know what's coming. Um, my parents aren't around. Um, can you please crank my morphine to 11? And, you know, I will just go into a sleep and not Give and me not that wake sweet, up. sweet release. Yeah, exactly. So in this one, you're actually offered three choices, but really it's two. Um, you can accept and do it. You can refuse or you can say, I don't know, which that's what I did the first time because I thought I don't know would be this like this off ramp where I don't want to make this decision at uh, all. Porridge. Uh, but no, it's it's not that at all. It's not a baby bear uh, decision. It's it's either accept or refuse. So I need to know um, what y'all did here. Yeah. So I ended up accepting her request. I ended up going along with it. Um, a couple of things kind of, you know led to that i you know when i saw the insane medical bills when i saw the stress the family was under um when i saw chloe wanting it but not being able to do it herself um it ultimately felt like yeah okay i i'd understand it's not like you're in a position where this is more of a a mental anguish you know that might be fleeting and temporary you know the 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 cards had been dealt already, right? We we knew what was going to happen at the end of, and at the end of everyone's hand. Um, so it's it's just more about, you know, do you allow her to have a bit more agency than what she might have typically? Um, I don't think that there's like a clear yes or no here, right? Like I, th- I think in this game we've been faced with choices that were, you know, are you are you a dick or are you not? You know. Do you want to be okay? Like, is this really a tough choice or not? This one, you know, felt, a, you know, you could go either way. Um, so I think the question is, are, are you a Kantian or a utilitarian? You know, are you a deontologist or, or not? Um, and I think I went more of the utilitarian route, route over here. What did you choose, Jacob? I, I just can quickly say that I, I chose the same road and I really wasn't thinking of... Uh, any sort of like legal or ethical frameworks I was literally just thinking like this is something that from what I can tell in this very limited set of interactions this is something that Chloe really wants Um, it's probably not something that she would request lightly especially knowing the collateral damage that it might do to Max's psyche Um, but she's had seen the damage around her 
damage is the wrong word. She had seen some of the pain that had been suffered around her and said that I'm experiencing a lot of pain. My end is is likely near based on what the doctors have told me. And I think that this is the best option. So I also chose to do so. But I think for, for you, Flora, you, you did not choose that, correct? Complicated answer here because this is the second playthrough. My first playthrough, right. I took the same decision that both of you did. And that okay. is in my heart where I think that the decision kind of needs to be made. Um, I mean, like invoking like moral frameworks of how to approach moral dilemmas. Like I, I think I would be closer to like a virtue ethicist here. And like it's about the relationship you have with Chloe rather than the more like um, can you universalize this action or like what are the consequences of this action for those who survive it um, I, I, I personally like the topic of like assisted suicide is is an incredibly contested one um, and I think that that's true of probably many societies but like especially where I live in the US and um, it's illegal here and everywhere that I'm aware of. There are some exceptions in like 10 states, but like you are doing something that is not only morally really, really dicey and um, infinitely complex as as I think the framing of this dilemma suggests. Um, but this is something that like potentially could be framed as a criminal offense by like the parents at the very least. Um, I kind mm -hmm. of wonder how they would react. I know that the timeline gets changed and so we never have to worry about those consequences, but immediately like if that universe, what if like, what if Max goes through with this decision and then her time travel powers stall out again and she can't actually go back through the picture. Like the fact mm -hmm. that like this could have resulted quite differently where she was trapped in this alternate dimension. Um, that that's a possibility. And so like she, this was a decision made, I think with some degree of like um, emotional, like recklessness and impulse. I don't mean that to criticize the decision being made here, because again, I made the same one you all did. Um, the only reason in this playthrough that I chose the other option is just to see what would happen, which um, sadly, I didn't feel like it was like completely revolutionary because the timelines in a moment reset. And so mm -hmm. the implication of, of your decision is really just for you. You have to live with it consciously. No one else in this game really does. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we don't live in the U.S., uh, Mike and I. Uh, we live in a country where um, assisted, trying to think of the right word here, um, medical assistance in dying is oh. legal. And they've actually made inroads or they've made changes to federal legislation even in the last year to expand the definition of who can apply for medical assistance in dying. Even if you have some sort of mental health or mental health issue, so a severe mental health issue, there is a waiting period, but you can apply for medical assistance in dying. So probably a different perspective, at least for me, compared to kind of an American perspective. I looked it up after you wrote the notes. So thank you. Well, glad, yeah, I, I, I hate to linger on these heavy things um, with Life is Strange, but honestly, those are the things that give this story weight to me. Like in the middle of all of these kind of happy-go-lucky, like pseudo-teenager-speak quips and like the hip music that could or may or may not come off of a Spotify playlist, like there are there are these elements of, of just sincere humanity and however well handled or not, um, it, it is a useful springboard to think about these in their kind of real-world applications for me. Um, right after this, um, Max grabs a photo from the photo album because her powers, she needs to ground herself in the timeline that she travels to. So she looks at a Polaroid from the moment that she made the call to, you know, tell 
Chloe's father to not get in a Mike, do you want to jump in now? Well, yeah, well, I just want to say when this was happening, uh, that Nickelback song was going through my head. <laughs> and that's the only that's the only thing I could think of. That's the only thing I could think of. Look the at whole this time. photograph. Look at this photograph. Look you know? at this photograph. That's it. Nailed DMCA. it. That's you nailed it. Chad Kroger somewhere just had a single tear drop down his face, and he doesn't know why. Thank you. Wait, isn't he Canadian? He is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Extra layer for the listeners. We claim them. Yeah, yeah. Good song. Uh, anyway, you, you use the photo to ground yourself, and you you uh, make yourself you, you teleport. Thank you back to your own time. And I'm thinking of Nickelback now. You <laughs> make your way back to your own time and place. And that is when you meet up with uh, your version of Chloe, where you have to do a little bit more detective work and make your way into Nathan's room in his dorm to gather more evidence for your investigation. Uh, did y'all linger in the in the court um, in kind of the on campus near the dormitories, or did you just go straight for it? Because I just went straight for Nathan's room. I actually think that I experienced something that you didn't hear, Jacob, because there is an extra scene that you experience. Ooh, okay. If Kate survives the earlier episode, and you're right. Remind yep. me, didn't she? You didn't save her on that playthrough. I did not. No. So if Kate survives up until this point, you actually can go to the hospital and meet with her. It's a very brief mm. scene, but there is kind of like a little intermittent thing there. And so I, I was surprised to hear you jump straight to the dorm thing. Um, but once I got on campus, I, I then went straight to Nathan's room pretty much. At, at that point, I was looking for the photographs for the 100% achievements. I think that there's also a little bit of difference too, depending on how you... Um, uh, based on what you did with David, there's a little bit of a difference as well. Yeah. Because either you can like get him kicked out of the house or not. And I think that that situation differs slightly as well. Yeah. Uh, I went straight to Nathan's room. Uh, you can speak to Samuel. You can speak to some of your other friends. But truly, you have to make your way into Nathan's room by finding the sign in the dorm that says the Prescott's rule and then using a fire extinguisher to break the door down and go into his... Um, Kind of creepy room. A little creepy. Very dark. Yeah. It's yeah. Got, it's got some Too much money. imagery. Yeah. He's also Can very you describe it more with more words, Mike? He's into porn. He <laughs> uh, all the all the colors are black and white, and there are a lot of photos of it looks like women in compromised or uh, bound in uncomfortable positions. It, it, I think if you were the casual observer, you might come away that he has uh, some dark kinks. Except, I guess, I guess if you, you know, let me take one step back there. If you look at the porn mag that you find in his room, it's not especially like dark and kinky. You know, it's it's basic like teenage boy stuff. You know, so yeah, who knows. I didn't psychoanalyze the pornography necessarily so much as like the art involved with the room and sort of the the placement of the objects throughout the room, which is to say that like Nathan, as we've discussed before, is characterized as this like over the top villainous character, like so over the top villainous that he doesn't really belong in the same sort of discussion as other characters. He's cartoonish with his villain sort of attributes. And um, I, I think that this scene is obviously serving to just like 
really like explicitly try to confirm for us or at least like maybe a naive first pass that this is in fact the main series villain um which as we will talk about a little bit later is it's not the case um and so like there there's some interesting things like nathan prescott doesn't feel like he belongs at blackwell um in a number of ways like whether that's the fact that max is the only reason he's not explicitly a murderer already or like all right this is like more of an art school like why like why is he here other than just money but we see like in the strewn about pieces of art in his room that he's actually got quite a lot of talent assuming that he's the one who's responsible for these artworks Mm -hmm. some of the things that he's studying are like really kind of interesting um i I should have had a list of some of like the books but you can kind of like read the spines and whatnot um it i i feel like i got a really a useful glimpse into the psychology but unfortunately the uh more like let's say potentially misogynistic elements or like sexualized elements are not uh as present in my experience of that room this time he had a lot of films in his room and you can assume that he had a copy of american beauty maybe donnie darko and some criterion other films of that yeah the, the criterion collection would be there <laughs> um anything else y'all want to say about his room because i think our second decision hits uh, hits right after this. You was, you pull a couch back and go. You want to jump in? Yeah, right? no. I was just happy to get in and out. You know, I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. want to spend a lot of time in his room. Yeah. You pull a couch out because you notice there's a mark on the floor, and that's where you discover a a phone and a SIM card inside of a little Ziploc bag that's been taped to the the couch. You grab that. You walk out. And that's when Nathan confronts you and Chloe as you're exiting the dormitory. And Warren, uh, sweet Warren, stands up for you and defends you and Chloe. Uh, And you really have an option as they begin to really like physically like beat the crap out of each other to either stay out of it or to stop Warren. Um, I want to say on the last choice, 71% of people chose to uh, end Chloe's life. 29% of folks decided to uh, to not um, want to start Flora maybe with you this time on the second choice. Um, did you stay out of the fight or did you stop Warren? First playthrough, I did stop Warren because it felt like allowing him to go on this violent rampage was in some ways corrupting to like, you know, you describe him as like sweet Warren. Like there is a degree of naive innocence to this character and I don't want him going down that path, you know, like like literally just assaulting another guy, no matter what the context, like that's probably going to get him in trouble. I don't know why I'm thinking about all the like ramifications of these actions in this episode, but um, I I definitely don't want this kid who otherwise has shown like a lot of like academic promise um, to like, you know, ruin it just because he's protecting someone he cares about and so um by giving him that permission to like stop hopefully that would prevent him from becoming that darker version of himself but in this playthrough just wanted to see what would happen and then i was like you know what nathan you kind of deserve it man so um although one thing warren gets called an alpha in this scene and i just (laughs) just have to say that no comment just offering that to the listeners and moving on yeah mike it's a funny moment um i totally let him beat up nathan there was there was that was like a non we went from a real complicated decision about whether you allow someone to you know end it all um or help them end it all to a non-decision it was like do you do you let him get beat up or not and it's like yeah not only did nathan beat up warren last time but nathan is the least sympathetic character so far so yeah he's gonna get his butt beat and i didn't see i didn't see any harm in it you know I started by stopping Warren, but 
I I was kind of okay with the decision. Um, but the thing that I wanted to go back to is because um, Nathan has a gun, and you actually don't take the gun in that de- in that decision. If you just you know stop Warren, the gun just kind of gets kicked away. And I was like, that seems dangerous. If Nathan's the killer, I don't want him to have a gun. So that's the only reason I rewound and then let Warren beat up Nathan because I wanted to see how both paths let, uh, ended up. And in the Warren beats up Nathan path, Chloe actually takes the gun. So now she has two guns. Not sure why she needs two guns, but she has two guns now. America. And that's the only reason I chose that. <laughs> and I think in this case, America. In this case, uh, it was actually pretty 50-50. 45% of people uh, let Warren beat up Nathan, and 55% of people stopped Warren from beating up Nathan. So where do we go from here? Uh, that's when we make our way over to our, our little friend, the drug dealer Frank, uh, but not before seeing a beach full of beached whales, which was, again, another weird natural phenomena that's happening in Arcadia Bay. And that is kind of the last stop on the detective tour that you have to do in this game where you need to find out about uh, Frank's clients. So uh, there is a particular order uh, on in this one um, where you need to do a certain amount of things that lead to a few different outcomes. Um, what There's- did y'all do here with Frank? Like, what, what, yes. Go ahead, Mike. Yes. So... You can either end up this encounter having killed Frank, you can end up having wounded him, or everybody can get along and nobody gets hurt. And uh, basically, <laughs> I, I think this one is designed to be rewound to, to see the different things because when you come back out of the rewind, you have a conversation with Chloe where you're like, hey, just so you know, this could go real bad. You have to make a decision right now as to what you're going to do. Are you going to have Chloe throw away the gun? Are you going to have Chloe be aware that things could go really bad? Um, you know, what is going to happen here? And basically, I just kept rewinding uh, until I found the, the optimal solution. Um, and for me, that was making sure that Frank uh, was not hurt. Everyone got, got by okay. Because um, I, you know... I, I thought like this is this is needless for someone to have to to die or get shot um, when I have this rewind power and we can all get through this with the optimal word choices. Um, so yeah, this was again a very easy choice for me. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you frame this as like a scene or a choice that's supposed to be, it's designed to be rewound because I felt the exact same way. And um, it made me realize that at least two of the decisions around this game, um, previous episodes included, um, when Frank is present, that seems to be the way that decisions are framed. If you remember the junkyard with the gun earlier and whether you shoot him or like try to or not, I wonder why that is. And it makes me think about like, how that may or may not be present in other contexts where Frank is a character. But um, it, I didn't uh, shoot him in my first playthrough. I ended up, um, I think I, or sorry, that I take the back. I think I like shot him in the leg or something like I wounded him. Um, mm-hmm. But but it wasn't like, you know, SpongeBob Rainbow's decision, everyone kumbaya. <laughs> um, I, this playthrough, however, just trying to get through it and also just see what 
else might happen, um, shot him and his dog, and both of them were dead, which I thought was kind of an unnecessary like insult to injury. It really does not want you to move forward with that decision. I, I think the dog being the obvious kind of weight on the scale there. But um, looking at the percentages here of who chose that, I am one of 5% of players who shot and killed Frank, which I think is one of the lowest percentages of any major choice outcome so far in one through four episodes. Makes me have more faith in people. <laughs> people love animals. Maybe not. Frank. Yeah. And that, and that was the thing. Like whenever, like I cry <laughs> when there's a TikTok of a cat or a dog that is like picked up off the, off the street and then brought to a vet clinic. Like I did that at six o'clock today. Like I watched a two minute TikTok and it made me cry. So like pets are always a step over the line for me. But in this case, um, I rewound and, and went forward about three or four times and I just, I didn't look at a guide or at anything like that. So I just went forward with what I thought was the best decision in the moment. I went through the first time where you kill them both and it, it really shakes Chloe up. The second time you shoot uh, him in the leg and I was like, ah, there's probably something better. And if you throw away the gun, there's actually a knife fight that happens. You know, Frank pulls his knife and Chloe like, essentially stabs him in the same place in the leg where he had been shot before so i'm like oh maybe this is meant to happen and being wounded in the leg is the my best possible outcome so i think i'm going to stop here so that was my in this playthrough or this episode specifically i i really either like follow my gut or i just like really think of the mechanics of the of the game and just go with a choice that mechanically makes the most sense so that's what i did here I, I don't remember who was on the Night in the Woods episode, but I just am picturing when you say knife fight, like the little like knife fight from that game where it's just the two detached hands and then I, I don't know. That just added a nice image. Uh, what a, good what a world we live in where people feel more sympathy for, for an animal than a fellow man. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, it's relatable. I think there are a lot of people that feel that way. So I, I don't blame you. After this, you get Frank's client book, that really helps you put together the mystery of where potentially Nathan took Rachel Amber because that's kind of the running hypothesis in the moment, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and I liked this moment where essentially you take all the clues that you've collected over the Mike shaking his head. I hated it. That you've, that you've collected over the entire game. You put them essentially on a big piece of cardboard and you start piecing them together. So you have the clues from David, you have the clues from Nathan, and you have the clues from Frank, and you have to dissect each one of them and how they work together in like three different phases. And I really like this part. Mike, you did not. I hated it because... Um, I thought there were a lot of clues that didn't require three pieces to connect. Like there was, oh, I, I want to connect the names on the sheet to this one sheet. I don't want to have to connect it to every sheet where uh, where Nathan is is referenced or mentioned because this is the only one that actually matters to me in this in this moment. Um, it, it felt like there were a lot of constraints on having to find the perfect solution and. I ended up just pulling up a guide and, and saying, okay, just tell me which ones I need to connect. Um, there were dots that I think the player has already connected at this point. So it didn't mm -hmm. feel like any of it was revelatory. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm not giving the uh, my fellow players and uh, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Maybe they hadn't already connected the dots by now. Um, but yeah, it, it did not feel like the type of puzzle I wanted to to get into. I just wanted to like get to the next stage. 
Mm-hmm. At this stage, you just want to know who the murderer is and yeah. like you want the conclusion. Okay. Okay. I enjoyed this part and it, it, it probably took me, I wasn't looking at the time, but I would imagine like 20 minutes to make my way through like essentially like maybe nine phases. So like three sets of three clues and then putting them all together. Like, like you said, Mike, we knew that he got the drugs from Frank, um, but we didn't know when and where, which is what really leads us into the, the final part of this episode. The one thing that I did find both interesting and funny was just how many students are buying drugs from Frank at, uh, at the Academy and also how much drugs they're doing. This is, yeah. these are not like low quantities or, uh, you know, kitty drugs, you know, there, there's some, there's some serious stuff in there and they are doing a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I did not go to those parties in high school. So lots of GHB. So much of GHB. GHB. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of drugs period. So uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny how he nicknamed certain students with, with different animals that reflected them. Um, but yeah, ultimately wanted to get past this. What about you, Flora? Um, as far as the actual like putting together the clues and such, uh, on the second playthrough, I just used a guide, and I don't remember how it emotionally felt on the first playthrough. Like I, I don't remember using a guide. I must have brute forced my way through it or like you did sort of just kind of like already have put together the clues in my head. So it was more like a formality. But um, here it, it this replay of Life is Strange with all of the puzzles, they just feel like they get in the way of the thing I actually care about most of the time, which is to say like decision making and like emotional like bonds between characters and stuff like that. So um, it was completely frictionless and I don't really have anything to say about it, unfortunately, just because I was following like, okay, click these three things and uh, just moved it along. I felt like I was playing out my ghostwriter fantasies, like the television show from the nineties. I was living that out or this, this really shifted tonally from like a high school drama and actually Katie who hosts the show also me and her were texting last night about it because she's played Life is Strange before. And we both talked about how much of a tonal shift there was in this episode from being like literally euphoria to being criminal minds. Uh, and I say that because of what happens next. We find out from the clues that Nathan uh, at uh, a certain time on a certain date, I think it was like October 4th at 11 p.m., decided that he wanted to meet up with Frank at a certain location, which was a barn. So we go to the barn, Max and Chloe do. We drive there, we enter, we find out that it's a barn that has been in the family, in Nathan's family for uh, essentially 100 years. And at first glance, it looks like a regular barn, but we slowly discover there's a trap door with a padlock on it. Use a puzzle, rewind time to get in there. And that's when we discover that he has a very sophisticated underground bunker that costs $1.3 million to build in this underneath this barn that leads to something really, really twisted. I don't even know how to describe it. Me neither. It's all on you, Flora. Well, yeah, it's it's not an easy and comfortable thing to talk it through, but um, throughout earlier reveals in the other episodes, we've seen a lot of hints at this space in this episode. Episode 4 is called The Dark Room, if I'm not mistaken, and so it's effectively that. Like, it looks like it's this kind of 
out in the middle of nowhere property where there's going to be no sophisticated technology, no like sort of like even electricity. And yet you find this incredibly sterile environment. There's a lot of like white tile and reflective surfaces and like curtains, almost like a meat locker is sort of how it feels in some sense. Um, There's a lot of paraphernalia of things ranging from what look like like just really creepy photography equipment um, and suggestions of p- subjects being like bound up and in photographs and videoed without their consent. Um, and as we explore the environment, we realize that that's in fact what happens here. Um, there's also suggestions about like drugs and other sort of violent activity here. If you look around and a lot of the present artifacts in this space um, almost explicitly, if not directly, frame Nathan as the one who is perpetrating what looks like a bunch of like sexual crimes. Um, we also find like a series of lock, uh, like locker cabinet sort of things, um, which, as again the end of various episodes prior to this have pointed out to us and revealed, there's literally like binders of women, like photographs and stuff. Almost always, and not the Romney from- kind. Correct. Yeah. Like, like that's like, it seems like it should be a parody in terms of how like over the top it is, but it is, as I think both of you deferring this to me, like it, it's just uncomfortable to be in this space. Um, and I, I happen to, I haven't done this with pre- previous episodes, but I just glanced through like one or two um, like day of reviews for episode four, just to see like, what did people say at critical reception to this? Like, how did they feel about this episode? Because um, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings here. Um, but there's a term, and I should have sourced this, but like the voyeurism of abuse, um, which I think that this scene really just does a lot of, which is to say we mm-hmm. see a lot of these people being abused. And like as a player, you're encouraged to explore and like you're rewarded with like new information when you see these things. And um, on this second playthrough, like I think the first playthrough for me, I was very much taking it all in like, oh my God. Okay, so here's like this clearly is some like orchestrated mastermind like again 1.3 million dollars worth of a space which i guess in 2022 means nothing anymore but at the time um it, it really i mean like it seems like a, this this is an incredibly elaborate and sophisticated space um now on a second playthrough i'm just i'm just uncomfortable even as a player being there but i don't i don't want to oversell that discomfort either um like it's just like a i'm only going to be here to get the thing i need and then i'm gone sort of feeling yeah. It's really not cuz I think in a lot of games what you'll get is like almost like the Bond villain version of this which is like I don't want to say as as dark and twisted but it 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 has a a certain sheen on it of like this man is a villain this woman is a villain this person is a villain this um, girl is on fire <laughs> Oh but this is like this is a creepy space Yeah very um, creepy Yeah and 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 like you said, the the binders of women, uh, Kate being one of them, uh, disturbing. The thing that you notice is that there are a lot of them. There are probably twenty of them. Some names that you don't recognize, but then there is Victoria's binder, which you grab and it's 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 empty, which you then say, oh, then Nathan is going and targeting Victoria next. Yeah, you you know you know it's coming, right? You know it's coming down the pipeline. And then you're again put in the spot of like, how do you go and how do you go and help protect this person um, who has not especially been good to you, and that you don't especially have a trusting relationship? Who who sold you up the river like many times, bullies you, etc. But 
I mean, that's that's the final choice. Um, but before we talk about that choice, though, I do want to spend some time talking. Is there anything I missed, Laura? Nothing that you missed. I just want to like maybe connect an extra dot um, and yeah. say that um, this this revelation in this dark room is also what leads you to discovering Rachel's corpse, like like where yes. which is buried out in the junkyard. And that's an incredibly emotionally resonant scene, yep. like a big reveal, because clearly Chloe has been in denial about her friend being actually dead. Um, there, there's a lot of insecurity that you can read in the subtext, which we've discussed in previous podcast episodes about like, I think she sort of is grappling with whether or not her friend even abandoned her or whether she's actually like been lost and, and, and killed here. So, um, that's another, like, I think stake in the ground leading them to have that increased urgency to go seek out Victoria, protect her and save her from, from Nathan. So, yeah. Maybe I'm like needlessly skeptical here, but I just didn't actually believe that was Rachel Amber. I just assumed it was like maybe I thought this was like a twist that they were trying to like build up that I just wasn't buying. I thought like, oh, maybe this is, you know, uh, you know, the body of some animal Um, and that at this point it's been so decomposed or it's in the process of decomposition that no one's getting too close to it to actually take a look. Um, Also, if it is her, what a weirdly weird space for it to be considering how much time you had spent there previous yeah because you, you end up seeing a picture of rachel being bound um and having a rebellious look on her face while this is going on and that's when kind of chloe recognizes uh, thank you for calling that out flora that this actually happened in the junkyard so you go to the junkyard twice in the episode which is why i was i had forgotten it happens twice you go back after this vortex club scene um, but I would love to set the scene about the Vortex Club party. So you go and discover Rachel Amber's body at the junkyard. You say, hey, we need to find Nathan right away and tell Victoria what is happening and maybe try and even, you know, take out Nathan or apprehend Nathan. Mostly they were worried about Victoria. Um, so they go to this party, which is happening in the pool on campus, which we visited in a previous episode. And a, this is one of those moments where we, we've talked about the Frenchmen that are writing this <laughs> this uh, teenage American drama. And I feel like this is the moment where I'm like, oh, this is the party from American Psycho in the club, but is actually in a pool in a, in a children's high school. Oh, good pull. Good pull. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Do you host can you a movie compare podcast? it to something else? <laughs> Sorry, what'd you say? Do, Do I have you a host a podcast? Movie podcast? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Films. Yeah, it was it, this. Okay, one super stylish party. Uh-huh. Two, way over the top. Three, how are they doing this on school property? Yeah, <laughs> you know how are they paying for it? Yeah, but like, why is Mr. Just, Jefferson just here? Even if payment aside, like, how is any school administrator just like blind to the fact that they are hosting this party at the school pool where like. Yeah, no diving, no running, you know, no other things. Uh, and also an expensive DJ equipment just like above the water. I'm sorry, what? You know, this just, d- yeah. You also mentioned earlier the drugs, like that all these kids are like clearly on the same like dealers, like contact list or whatever. Like this is so transparently framed as like a full on rave. Um, like even the music that's like thundering through this space. Um, 
wonderful song, by the way. And uh, <laughs> like, like you could just really tell, like it's so unrealistic, and that that comes down to like the VIP area in the back, which just doesn't. It's like it's constructed through like curtains and stuff. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, in in a moment, like Mr. Jefferson comes out and gives like a speech, and if you overhear what the students say or like read the subtitles, like they're like cheering while so like a hot. bunch of drunk people at a concert, like like it's some like I, I I can't think of like what the highest energy concert would potentially be, but like it feels like just this is not how people would speak to their teacher, even at like the highest energy social event in a high school. Yeah. Um, all of that is just glaring to me as someone who like is around such events uh, or events um, with some degree of regularity. Yeah. If I was in the crowd, school, I would have yelled, uh, Hottie McHotterson. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought I heard your VO on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was just going to say, Flora, you're hanging around high school parties. Uh, uh, luckily, no. <laughs> uh, okay. Occasionally, occasionally in proximity to some such celebrations. Um, so yes, uh, basically, it's kind of like a hitman level <laughs> in a way. You've got to <laughs> find your way into the party. You've got to do some fun rewind mechanics, get past uh, some guards, and get into the party. And then you bump into Victoria, and. She says, uh, you're not allowed back here. I'm going to have you ejected. And that's when the conversational tree opens up and you have to figure out, okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to lay into her? Are you going to warn her? Are you going to like fess up to a bunch of stuff? What, what lengths are you willing to go to make sure that what happened to those girls doesn't happen to Victoria? Um, and for me, again, it was a non-choice. Uh, I would say whatever I needed to to make sure that she was okay um, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's again, not really a choice in my eyes. So, um, yeah, I just kept rewinding until I got the right word choices. Um, I felt a little bit of frustration in this because some of the short little prompts that it gives you doesn't convey the actual tone that Max delivers it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up choosing some things that I thought were much more innocent or much uh, more friendly that ended up being a little aggressive and leading down the wrong path. So um, all that being said, a little bit of rewind power. Those things actually weren't that frustrating. Was able to warn her and, uh, and, and you know, ideally not have her uh, end up that in that same situation. What did you guys do? It was a non-choice for me as well. Uh, I also warned her and she believed me because really the the three choices or the three ways that you're um that it can be bucketed is you know victoria believed your warning uh victoria didn't believe you or you didn't warn victoria which i actually don't know how to make that happen because to me you have to speak to victoria to get to the final sequence of the game to like make it go i'm a game designer to make it go um 68 uh flora has the answer i think uh 68 percent of people believed uh the warning of max and then 18 percent uh didn't believe max and then 14 percent of people didn't even warn victoria altogether so mike and i both uh did it for this second playthrough flora what did you do uh, in both playthroughs, I ended up warning Victoria and successfully doing so at that. Um, and so just to explain the way that the potential other outcomes can happen here, um, I, I went through and and did not warn her in this playthrough just to see if that would be like a meaningful choice, like a distinction in outcome. I personally didn't feel like it made any difference or if it made a difference, it was so 
like marginal that I decided to I literally in the second playthrough rewind it and then just chose what you all chose um, mm-hmm. because it's it's a non-choice like Mike was saying like I totally agree with that um, the way that you get the don't warn her is is simply you don't bring it up in the conversation like um, the other two outcomes of you warn her explicitly or you try to warn her but your reputation with her is so poor like you've just mm-hmm. repeatedly in previous interactions antagonized her um, oh. she will disbelieve you in that moment and like oh you're just trying to pull another prank on me max like one of those snide responses um the binary is pretty clear here but there is a possibility like if you've been a total jerk the entire time and not tried to reconcile with her i want to say as early as episode one you have a chance to um like kind of like make amends briefly with her if you choose to reject those every single time and just be the petty little high schooler like oh this is my drama mean girls click then um she will then kind of rebuke you in that scene and you will not be able to uh, convince her of that. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and and just to convey, Max here provides some very stern warnings about Nathan, and that they've seen some things, and that like irrespective of what has happened between them in their relationship, that she should believe him. Again, I'm just really happy that 70% of players chose to do the right thing in this case. Big thumbs up. And then the I worry thing about happens. The others. I worry about the others. <laughs> you worry about the others. Yeah, yes. me too. Me too. The thing happens. Uh, I don't think I can talk about what happens next because oh, it'll Jacob. probably make me emotional. Jacob, I think you're the only person that can. I think you're the person who needs to, to, to swim in it. <laughs> oh, okay. I know what we're talking about. That took me like that <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> so, Hottie McCotterson. Oh, so my God. Just, so, you know, let's remind people. Jacob made a bet on who... <sighs> on, on maybe not episode one, but early I made on. a little bit of a sadistic bet, kind yeah. of too, eh? It, well, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Jacob made a bet, maybe not episode one, but uh, but early on, that the true villain of this story would be Hottie McHotterson, um, the <laughs> photographer Jefferson. teacher, Mister Jefferson. And Aww. what do we end up finding, Jacob? <gasps> So you make your way back to the junkyard um, to go back to Rachel Amber's body. And that's when uh, something... It's funny. For a second, I thought the the, the game, the episode four, was actually going to end um, before the Vortex Club party because there's a pre-rendered cutscene that happens. So I thought, Agreed. oh, this must be the end. The Vortex Club is going to be episode five. But you experience that, you get another pre-rendered cutscene where they're, you know, grabbing her body to pull it out. And that's when, very quickly, uh, you get injected in your neck with the same drug that I presume is being used on the other victims. Your screen goes kind of blurry, like it's gone when you use your rewind power too much. And uh, very quickly, Chloe gets shot and killed, like murdered. And... Looking over you as you are paralyzed is none other than Mr. Jefferson. This became an episode of Criminal Minds really quickly, and um, boy, and it cuffed me. You got me to say <laughs> <laughs> the halo effect trumps all. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. What a revelation. I still don't get it. I don't get. I don't understand okay. the Prescott connection to Jefferson. I don't understand uh, Jefferson being the perfect person in this case. Like, once we saw the uh, dungeon that Nathan has 
under the Prescott barn. I was like, well, well, okay. It's Nathan, you know, like I, I don't know where Jefferson fits in. Obviously he'll be a part of this, but Nathan's the real big bad, but boy, boy, oh boy. Do we realize that Mr. Jefferson is the big bad? What if he's game. secretly a Prescott? Flora knows, and I think she's trying to keep her composure here. Um, from yeah. her face, I'm going to say he's not a Prescott. But yeah, I'm also very confused. Oh, Flora. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I was giving anything away with my expression. No, the smirk that you picked up, I was just thinking this is some weird like Game of Thrones. This person is secretly a Prescott like a lineage concern. <laughs> yeah, that was all. That was all. I, I I don't feel at liberty to say anything at this point. Speculate away, Mike. Let's speculate before we end this episode. What what is going to happen here? Um, we're okay. Clearly, we're going to be taken back to the dungeon. Yep. Some bad stuff's going to happen. Yep. Um, it's going to be like the end of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I've not seen that movie. Uh, don't you host a movie podcast? I do. Oh! Video game movies. <laughs> Get them. Um, okay. Well, it's a good book and it's a good movie. Uh, both versions, the Swedish and the American. Um, it's going to be like that. Can Can you spell that out? Because you are no. not the first person. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've I seen refuse. that comparison so many times. I saw Girl with Dragon Tattoo when I was much younger, but I, I actually don't know what people are comparing there, but I guess I rejected. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just, I will not. All right, I'll leave it to the listeners to tag me in the Discord. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I expect people in the Discord to explain it. Can I say, I don't want to talk about what's going to happen between Nathan and Max, but I'm not convinced Chloe's dead. Did she get shot in the head? She got did shot, she get in, shot the in the body. She got shot oh. right in the head. I thought oh, that boy. was like a, that was a serious, what the? That was a kill shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. There was no, I see that was, that was one of the other things. I was like, oh, maybe it's not Rachel Amber because that was definitely Chloe dead. You know, I think the only way you get out of this is if Max has some magical, uh, look at this photograph powers that pulls <laughs> her back into a different timeline. <laughs> You know? Oh, I'm going to make a meme of look at this photograph. Don't <laughs> worry. Look, she's got the Nickelback power. <laughs> uh, any further thoughts about uh, episode four of Life is Strange uh, Dark Room before we close? None, none. Uh, it was it was a little bit fast paced. Um, again, a lot of the decisions were non-decisions, um, but... You know, the ones that were, were, were heavy, were, were difficult. What do you think, Flora? This was fine. I'm sorry that I talked so much, like, at the very beginning and, like, almost, like, ranted. How dare like, you talk on a podcast you're hosting? No, no, sorry. I'm not apologizing <laughs> for talking. I felt like a lot of my comments were, like, correcting uh, or something at the beginning. And I went on, like, little mini things. And I was self-conscious about that. And so I tried to, like, pull that back. So um, with that self-consciousness aside, I think we talked about everything I wanted to. And I think had a few laughs along the way and now i'm uh compelled to google girl with dragon tattoo life is strange (laughs) (laughs) so uh hopefully those sentiments are generally reflected uh i don't have any other thoughts i'm just excited to play this one our next episode is going to cover the fifth and final episode of life is strange so if you've made it this far and you have not subscribed to our podcast what are you doing 
Uh, you can find it on all major podcasting platforms. Just hit subscribe because that really helps us when you subscribe to the podcast and not just listen to the episodes piecemeal. Uh, you can find us on the internet at Left Behind Club on Twitter, at Left Behind Game Club on Instagram. Mike, are you just in a in a therapeutic listening to my voice moment? That's I'm always there all day. Yeah. Whenever we're in know, huddles, you don't even realize me. it. My eyes are my closed. Voice, I'm just vibing. Yeah, my, my voice grates me, so I don't know how you do it. Um, uh, you can find our Discord at leftbehindgame.club slash Discord. Uh, jump in there and make sure to tell us about, one, what you think is going to happen in Episode 5, and then what you think the connection in Episode 4 to the girl with the dragon tattoo is. Uh, we've got we've got a channel where you can put those thoughts in the Life is Strange channel, so, so do that. Uh, Mike, if folks want to find you on the internet, where can they do that? They can do that at RuflowM on most social places online and at michaelruflo.com and .ca. Flora, where can the fine people find you at? Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at LudoNarrativeFM um, and as well in the Left Behind Game Club Discord uh, where we've been posting about all sorts of things and um, as well as epiloggaming.com. I just published an article for those who listened to our Returnal episode um, talking about several of the hard games that I've recently finished, all of which I cheated in in order to hit the credits. <laughs> and if you want to know about the pathway of cheating through those hard games, Elden Ring and Dark Souls and Returnal, check that out as well. Jacob? I didn't know you cheated uh, in Returnal until I read that article. So One save load. Um, <laughs> a, a certain community member elbowed me in the ribs and said, if you want to get this done, here's the secret. So I'm glad I listened. No, well done. Just well done. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms. J-A-C-O-B-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Do me two favors. One, I make daily TikTok content. Content, capital C. Follow me there. Uh, and you get to see a lot of stuff about gaming history, about content creators, about esports, and some random meme stuff. I'm old and I'm doing the memes. Uh, the second thing you can do is uh, go to my YouTube channel. Uh, again, same thing. Uh, there's going to be a new episode of Video Game Trivia uh, featuring Flora and Ben from Epilogue Gaming. Uh, I'm bringing it back to uh, to raise awareness about uh, abortion clinics in the U.S. Uh, so make sure to find that at youtube.com slash Jacob McCord. Uh, Michael, what do we say to him? And that, my friends, is one less game left behind. Welcome to episode 144 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week we play... That's the game. That is the theme song <laughs> intro. Hey, I'm Jacob McCord. I'm Katie Lasbrance. And I'm Travis Colnett. We are hosting a brand new podcast called Cutscenes. There are tons of video game podcasts and tons of TV film podcasts, but we're going to bring you the intersection of both and talk about video game, movies, and TV. I know what you're thinking. Aren't most of them not very good? Wrong. Some of them are fine. And we're going to tell you all about them. Make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Follow us on Twitter at Cutscenes underscore pod. And most importantly, give us a listen. Season. Cutscenes, a video game movie podcast.